You guys, episode 103, you're going to hear terms like DIT, CGCIO, Leading Edge, and Bleeding Edge. Of course, we are talking to Dr. Christophe St. Luce, who's the Assistant City Administrator of the City of Bradenton, and he is a technology specialist. And he talks with us about deploying, properly deploying technologies to make your city better. All of the challenges from preventing hacking to email systems to you name it on technology. He is the man. You're going to love this episode. If you're at all interested in how to improve the technology of your city or county, this is the episode you don't want to miss. Greetings. I'm Steve Van Core, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. As you know, I'm your host, and each episode we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into local government here in the Sunshine State. Now, if you have someone you would like to nominate as a guest uh, on the, for the podcast, just simply send their name and information and your thoughts on that to me at svancor at vancorejones.com, or you can send a DM to uh, FCCMA on Facebook. Uh, let's get right into it. Today's guest is Christophe St. Luce. He's the uh, Assistant City Administrator, the city of Bradenton. We were just talking about the, the, the derogatory moniker that Bradenton had once upon a time earned, a Bradentucky. Let, let's, yeah. let's get that out of the way first, Christophe. Uh, what what was the origin? Because uh, I had friends who lived down there, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, welcome to Braden, Tucky." And I actually found it to be a pretty nice place. What was, it, what was the origin of that? No, it's 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 a great place. And again, from from what I understand or learn, it's that you know Bradenton was considered the poor redheaded stepchild of Sarasota, and it couldn't afford the same things that Sarasota had. You know, city of Sarasota, and um, uh, but it's changing. You know, it's it's definitely changed. There's a lot of development that's occurring downtown. There's, I mean, we have so much going on. All the events that are right downtown, yeah. the Riverwalk that's just been rebuilt, a total of three miles of that. So we're really working hard to to um, change ourselves from that that former name. Well, you know, it's interesting. I I see Bradenton kind of like uh, Punta Gorda and other uh, in the southwest part of the state. The the cities that have kind of a clean slate now that are growing and know how to grow and are taking a lot of good lessons. Like you said, the improved river walk. It's not just, you know, St. Lucie County in the 1980s where they just plop houses everywhere. Uh, Manatee counties, uh, I know their development community, they work very well together. They're putting in really kind of neat places with good town centers and stuff like that. And so I agree with you. I think uh, it's time to to shed that, that <laughs> the derogatory <laughs> term. Uh, well, speaking of derogatory terms, uh, you are an assistant city manager, but you didn't come up the normal way. You came up through IT. Uh, yes. Uh, and I want to I want to delve. And, and, and I know what the promo of this is going to be. We do a little quick promo ahead of time is like, guys, you got to listen to this one because Christoph St. Luce is the man when it comes to implementation of new technologies. Let's walk through some of your designations D-I-T. What is D-I-T? I never heard of that before. Right. D-I-T, which my wife loves calling me a dit. You know, it's a, it's a doctorate of information technology. So I'd studied at Capella University, brand new program, 
2015 to 2019, four years of research, dissertation, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. But so I, and, and difference from a PhD, where people are used to a doctor of philosophy, yeah. a doctor of information technology is what's called a practical degree. So we had to actually solve a business problem using technology in 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 our dissertation. What was the business problem you solved? Um, in a nutshell, because what we know, you know, after all the research you had to, you had to, to do, um, explain you can explain to somebody in less than two minutes. Basically, if you um, allow budget and information communication technologies or your IT budget, it does help the city um, attract, repeat, and new tourists, which then benefits the state tourism as well. It it, it, really? it sounds it sounds so easy, but I, I mean I had to look through. Oh, it doesn't. Wait, by, by the way, Mister Ditt, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it would. Uh, they, listen, the degree would have only been better if the, if the initials are N E R D. Yeah. Then your wife would have a lot more fun with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She she loves saying, "Hey, you're such a dip." She she loves saying that. <laughs> so the idea would be uh, by improving your technologies. Give me an example of a technology you would improve that would help with tourism, because I can think of one that frustrates the hell out of me well the one the, the first thing that always comes to mind when when i worked at city of hollywood was you know, hollywood has lots of garages on the beach and one of the things we did is added uh parking sensors so as you're driving up to the garage as you're entering you can see how many available spaces are on, are on each floor and as you cruise the floors in the garage you have red and green markers to determine available space or not available space we did that in a couple of the garages. That was just kind of one of the easiest things. You know, so people coming to the to the beach for you know spring break or hanging out, it makes an easy way of finding uh, uh, you know finding parking instead of worrying about on street parking or spaces. So that, that was the first time way. I saw that was in Broward County, and I think it was at the Fort Lauderdale Airport. They had yeah. those, and now they're all over the Disney. I didn't know Disney Springs has them. I love it because. Yeah. It probably saves you as a driver and a tourist time and aggravation. People queuing up for that one spot coming out. You can go past that lane and go to the other one that has three open spaces. Uh, really kind of cool technology. You know, what I believe it would be better if we had, like for biking, off-road biking, mm -hmm. there's apps, but they're so inadequate to tell you where, to, where the trailhead is, where you can go for both biking and hiking. And I think for people with horses, which is an could be a greater tourist attraction to Florida. We have some great, great trails all over the state. Oh, yeah. They're almost impossible to find. It's it's almost word of mouth still when between GPS locations and, and other things, it could be a lot easier. And I've, yeah. I've, and I've got all the apps, traveling, yeah. <laughs> all trails, Google Maps. Uh, I get all of them. And you're right. You could, by improving that, People would be more likely to come, bring their bikes, stay overnight, spend some money uh, by, by having better technology. Yeah, that I mean, the trails, that's actually an interesting idea. I mean, yeah, you said there's GPS technology for that. There's solar powered GPS. But as long as you can get uh, you know, clear enough from a tree canopy, obviously, that to get a signal. But yeah, that that's an interesting thought. But just find where the trailheads are and give me yeah. a little description of the trail, you know, because sometimes you go there and it's a two mile trail when you're looking for a 15 mile trail. You're like, OK, yeah. we up, went over here for the day and it turns out it's closed or whatever. Uh, so <laughs> let me keep going through your resume because I love it. CGCIO. What's that? Certified Government Chief Information Officer. 
And then AMACPM. American Management Association Certified Professional in Management. Wow, fantastic. A lot, lot, lots and lots of education. Are we calling you Dr. Christoph? Well, of course, it's fine. But if you ask my wife, she would say, yes, you're supposed to say Dr. Chris. <laughs> call, call the dit doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about um, that. What are some of the challenges that municipals are having? I mean, counties, too, with technology. You used something, a term I, I really liked in the, in the lead up uh, before the call started, before the podcast started about Leading edge versus bleeding edge. Tell me a little bit about that and how that's part of the challenge of, of running a, a local government. Right. So your bleeding edge, those are those technologies that aren't widely accepted, you know, pretty new. You kind of don't want to be the first one out of the gate. We've been in some situations in the past where you're using bleeding edge and it just doesn't work well. It's not well supported. But leading edge is those more proven technologies. Other people are using them as widely supported. They work well. You know, they they may cost more, but you're going to get a great product and, and, and good support. So that's where many governments, okay, they don't want to be on a bleeding edge. They don't want to be the first one out of the gate. You know, they want to be in the newspaper because, well, because if you're running a government, you can't fail. You can't, yeah. you know, put up a new traffic system and that doesn't work. You're like, hang on a second, we got this new technology and with the lights will be working pretty soon. Everybody until then drive carefully. Exactly. exactly. Uh, but have you have you been involved where somebody insisted on bringing in a, a, a bleeding edge technology with a B and, and it didn't work out? Oh, you saw somebody take that chance? Um, many, many, many years ago when uh, public Wi-Fi wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now and uh, something that we brought in kind of didn't want to do it and it just did not work well. This is back city of Hollywood. The thought was it would come in, we would um, use Wi-Fi for the par- for the water meters, use Wi-Fi for the police vehicles, but it didn't work. Again, we had a huge tree canopy, so the signal didn't didn't carry far. Then the Wi-Fi just didn't penetrate well into the homes, so they thought, oh, the public will be able to use it. And then lastly, it just wasn't going to work well for public safety because if it's range, well. A police car doesn't just stop at the city boundary. If it's on a call, it needs to go into the next area and you end up losing signal. Oh, interesting. So that was a bleeding edge. Yeah. So it was something bleeding edge. It, didn't, it did not work well. So we kind of just, you know, backed off and re- revert as what we had before. When I was working on my master's degree, I did a, my thesis was going to be before I said, I'm not doing the thesis anymore. Uh, technophiles to technophobes. And it sounds like the technophiles are the one who gets the brand new whatever that new technology is, mostly yeah. because it's new, whether it's not, it's functional yeah. versus technophobes are like, see, back in the old days, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had cars that you can drop the transmission in your driveway and repair it. And now of course, you can't even change your own oil right? <laughs> uh, with new technologies. Um, let's talk a little bit about, because you, you, your experience runs the gamut. What are some of the challenges that cities are facing right now with cybersecurity? We see these you know, this holding your computers hostage, that's clearly got to be under your purview. What, what are your, some of your challenges and understanding of that right now? Well, one is um, getting the funding for those initiatives. And, you know, it, it used to be, I'd say, quote unquote, so simple. You just had a couple of programs that you put on a computer, but the bad actors are always 
trying to reinvent themselves. They're always trying to come up with something new. So now you have to come up with a multi-layered approach, five, six, seven, eight different systems that look at all these different vectors, you know, there's, or email is a vector. For example. Oh, well, uh, yeah, like email, you know, that, that's a vector. Something comes in, your work email, your personal email for people who check personal email on their work computers. That's a potential vector that you have to protect against. The multi-factor authentication, you know, I'll go to log in and it verifies that it's you. Your websites that you go to, because now there's, you know, systems that do what's called a reputation filter to see if this is a valid website or not. So all these different systems and you need the staff that are cross-trained to know how to operate all these systems. So it's 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 quite a lot. It's quite tedious. I've been, I've been told in cybersecurity, technologically, we got it buttoned up, but it's the human factor. It always and, is. And the, and the training involved. What are some of the systems you guys put in place to, because it's when I was working with the Broward Supervisor of Elections Office, we had nonstop phishing attempts. Remember, it made statewide news. Yeah. We're lucky that incoming emails to staff were first, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, cordoned off, uh, What's like the, filtered, uh, quarantined, quarantine, yeah, quarantine, okay. and then and then the attachments were examined by a, a computer program to see if they yes. had operational aspects to them. So, what do you, what are your what are your protocols that you recommend people put in place for that to help reduce the human factor? Yeah. So, what again, like what things are doing now is blocking the personal email websites, like you know Yahoo to AOL. Outlook is kind of a challenge because you know business uses Outlook. For your corporate email, it's kind of hard to block on a personal side. But we also do random testing, you know, security phishing testing. And um, all the department heads get updates from their staff that have completed and have not completed the trainings. You have the um, uh, the the tests where somebody drops a USB, you know, a flash drive, and you see somebody plugs it in a computer. And that gives you... That's one of those vectors, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just somebody you know, leaves a random flash drive and you see, oh, I want to see what's on that. And so there's there's security awareness training. We also do... From by the visual... way, the quick quick aside on that, I, I remember seeing a, lecture, a lecturer with the League of Cities, by the way, yeah, yeah. who was a technology specialist, uh, cybersecurity specialist. And he said they went to a technology conference. Yeah. Okay. These are a bunch of dits. Okay. <laughs> and he went to a technology conference and dropped like 50 thumb drives randomly around the conference that had a harmless virus in it that when somebody plugged it in, it popped up and says basically something like you're an idiot for randomly putting <laughs> a thumb drive in. And within like two hours, I don't remember the exact number, but it was like within two hours, half of them were picked up and installed in a computer somewhere <laughs> uh, at a technology conference. So your job is I mean, is this done through extensive training with your staff to to let them know what these vectors are and to be alert, or is there something more you can do than that? Yeah, our our IT staff are very good in reminding our folks. We even gave out um, mouse pads that say "stop, think, you know, and click," or "stop, stop and think before you click." So we have mouse pads, any kind of visual reminder. There's visual reminders in our emails. So when you open an email, hey, this you got an email from somebody you don't normally get an email from, you know, just make sure this is, you know, the the person you're expecting. So there's, just, it's just constant. So that's why there's so many different things and systems. There's never one thing that's going to cover all, 
you have multiple systems, multiple things you have to learn and and just keep reminding your folks. And I said we do the we do a big training once a year and then quarterly people get little refresher courses as well. And our folks are good. If something kind of looks remotely fishy, they let the help desk know just so that they can verify it's it's valid or not. The uh my business partner told me always look at the address of the sender. Correct. Because you might get stuff like you have a new voicemail. Correct. An yeah. Attachment and you're tempted to hear the new voicemail. But before you do, you're like, wait a second, you know, who's that coming from? Or a new invoice or yeah. uh yeah, a from some weird some weird domain that doesn't, you know, isn't valid or something, yeah, that doesn't exist. Yeah, but I guess the, the days of the Nigerian letter. Yeah. You know, uh I'm a I'm a prince captured in a jail with purposeful typos to kind of get you to yeah, <laughs> but then you respond and then all of a sudden they got you, you know, um, that, that those days seem to be over. It seems to be much more sophisticated than it used to be. Yeah. I don't think I've gotten any one of those. The, yeah, the Nigerian print stuff and even my personal email in a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> what are some of the, what are some of the scams that you're seeing now? Um, yeah, it is usually having to do with accounts payable. Um, Oh, we've now changed our address to the company, like, you know, targeting governments. We've now changed our address to the company. You know, please send our payment to this new address. And, you know, they'll do research to find out what purchase orders might be open and then where this company is. And then just slightly change the company name or email address so that, you know, the person processing accounts payable might miss it. And then you know, there's a payment that goes off to the wrong company. That tends to happen a lot. Of course, anything during tax time. that, so that happens They, they do a little too. research, find out that you're doing business with Joe's Plumbing. Mm -hmm. And they send an email from Joe's Plumbing saying, please update your records to reflect our new P.O. box uh, for all correspondence. I click on that. Oh, okay, Joe's Plumbing. I click on that and it's a phishing attempt, P.H. It, um, yeah, it, it can be that or the person just processes it, makes a change on their payroll, you know, on their accounting system, and then the next payment goes out to somebody else. So now there's systems in place that'll vet and verify these requests when they come in to say, okay, well, no, this, this isn't correct. The is actually located X, Y, and Z. So it's different services that you have the businesses register with, as well as the government, so that the accounts payable people have, you know, they have backup to help verify if something comes in to, for a change. Like have I said, you, there's. Have you had any any breakdowns in in the process where you've had to go in and fix it after the fact? Um, after yeah, there was, there was, I think we we had one scare that that had come up and you know it's been caught, so we get systems, so we have systems like that to help us, you know, to help us help our staff verify when these requests come in so sometimes it's sending it off to another person as well to verify hey it looks like you know they're asking for this particular change can you check this for me so staff internally check it twice and then it goes on to another verification company yeah that sounds like a lot of layers just to keep yourself safe but you have to do that um <clears throat> so let's move along on in digital world we talk a lot about the need for community outreach right so here you are talking about here are the vectors where you can be attacked. Um, but now 
I remember when we first started, you know, we're talking about technologies related to social media. It was, hey, guys, it's getting a little more sophisticated. It's not just we have an intern in the basement, blah, blah. Uh, what challenges are you guys seeing as as between Nextdoor, the variety of social media, the variety of ways to reach people? Clearly, that's got to be a constant challenge in your position. It is. I work very closely with our PIO, our public information officer. And, um, you know, we have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Instagram. Um, I help with our with our Instagram page. So I help. I take pictures and I send posts as well. Um, one thing that we've done to try and help, which is it's going to sound, you know, when you first think about it, it sounds odd, but to make a physical representation of our digital presence. We have these on-street signs called SUFA signs. They're by SUFA Digital. These seven-foot, six-inch tall, solar-powered e-ink signs that are you put around your city. So we have one downtown. We have one on our Riverwalk and one at a youth center called 13th Avenue Dream Center. So these large signs, 42-inch, um, e, 44-inch, sorry, e-ink screen. So it's almost like a giant Kindle screen. And it has a calendar events. So we update the calendar. People walking by can see what's going on. They can see our Facebook posts right on the screen. They can see our Twitter posts right on the screen. And then different um, ads or promotions. It's like events. a giant Kindle. Yeah. Based around the thing that monitors your social media. I mean, and replicates your social media alerts, community notices. This is brand new information. I didn't know this thing existed. Oh, yeah. I think we were, I would say we were the first one in Southwest Florida to, to get it. I think Orlando got them just after us. But City of Groveland got them. They had like probably about two dozen. And that's why I, I um, was like, wow, Groveland can have them. We can have them. Uh, Groveland is going to just north, I think, just northeast of Orlando, I believe. Okay. Somewhere around there. And I thought, how do you get two dozen of these signs? You know, and I, I was able to buy four. Miami has them um, al along Brickell. So I still have family over there. And I drove over earlier this year to go to go right, right under the uh, U-line. And like, oh, there they are. You know, the, the SUFA signs. So we have them. That Plus, they also... Um, tell you how many people are walking around the sign so we can say hey around three o'clock we have 300 people walking around this sign you know maybe to tell the businesses hey at this certain time of the day this many people are around here in case you want to do some type of you know events or promotion to have people you know come come to your restaurant or come to your it business mon it monitors foot traffic so it's giving you feedback in real time but you yes. can put up congratulations to the mayor for getting an award for best mayor of you know whatever Exactly. Uh, but also, hey, there's going to be a 5K tomorrow. This road will be closed um, as, as well as other public notices. Right. So we're trying to use as many tools as possible to get notices out there from, you know, the regular uh, signs along the regular, regular signs alongside of the road, you know, upcoming road closure. We use these SUFA signs. We put it on our Facebook. We put it on Twitter. We put it on Instagram. We're using as many tools as possible to get the word out, plus on our, our, our website as well. So we have a plethora of tools that we're managing and maintaining. So how do you how do you prioritize or organize? So back in the day, right, um, we had an announcement. Um, I'll make something up. Uh, there's going to be a road closure at Third Nell. Right. And we want to let the public know because 
uh, obviously they can they can plan their morning routine elsewhere. So back in the day, you sent out a fax to the local newspaper, which was widely read, right? And people get the notices that way. Worst case, you you handed out notices. Or you put out one of those, you know, trailer marquee signs. Right. So now you've got this road closure at Third and Elm. You've got this plethora of media outlets. How do you triage and prioritize those? And what's the protocol you put in place to make sure you touch on all those different outlets? So first of all, if it's an unplanned event, the first things are uh, Facebook and Twitter. Those are the first things. If it's planned, like I'm driving into work and I drive by one of those road those road signs that's telling me, oh, Manatee Ave from 1st East to 43rd West is going to be closed during a certain day. So that's a planned event. So you put it on that sign. We'll put it on our Facebook page, schedule it so that it's out for a certain number of days. We, we would blast something like a road closure that's planned across many channels, the website, the road sign, Instagram, Twitter, and then send reminders um, as well. Uh, so that's usually where, where we hit first. We do want to get into um, next door as well. You know, I know some other um, cities are using it, some counties are using it. So we want to use that to maybe help target certain areas of, around the city, too. So in theory, uh, you could send a text um to people you could put it on your facebook put it on the website send them an email put it on instagram facebook that that's where i'm going with all these different ways to reach people because we, we're now so fractured right so some people yes. are going to get the notice through their twitter feed so you pop up on facebook and maybe get an email from the city but no one's complaining that they're getting too much information i shouldn't say no one but I am more likely to go, thank you for letting me know, you know, through all these vehicles, as opposed to, oh, I didn't check my Facebook page today, or I didn't get my emails, or it went to junk or spam. Uh, but the, that variety of technology being deployed, it can't be easy, right? So somebody's got to be at the helm on all of those things. Right. And our PIO leads to front on that. And I, John, I help her when I can, because you're never going to cover everybody. Some people who don't use Facebook, some people who don't use Twitter, some people who don't go to our website, or some people who don't have Instagram. So that's why you have all those different channels that you try and broadcast and you're casting as wide a net as possible to reach as many people as possible. So do you have a very limited number of people who have their finger on the button, as it were, or can can is there a wide variety of people who can post onto the various channels? There are really just three of us, maybe four. So our PIO, um, I assist as well. And one of our folks in the IT division, he, he has access to a couple of the programs as well. So if we're out and we see something, we'll take pictures, we'll post it. So at least we try and have at least a few people where somebody forgets or is maybe they're on vacation or out of town. At least, you know, the communication doesn't just stop. The the now that's the hardware angle of it on the soft side of it about what the messaging can be. And I'm mindful in the early days of social media when everybody was doing selfies. And I we, I did a lecture on this about you when you're a police to, to do a bunch of police chiefs, when you're a mm -hmm. police department, it doesn't matter what the medium is, always be the police. And the classic story was the New York City police decided they wanted to get in the whole selfie business and they were taking a bunch of selfies. Yeah. And then when an adverse incident happened, uh, a cop was caught on video, you know, unnecessarily pummeling somebody. Um, then they turned it into, you know, 
uh, an attack on the police force, making fun of their selfies. Oh, here's another selfie from the you know New York City Police Department. How do you guys regulate what is the content, or is that through you know a collaborative thing, or you, you assign points and they're trained and they're told here you can only do this, you can only do that. Well, they just so happens for our police department, they have their own PIO. So everyone in police funnels information directly to that person, and then they will monitor, determine what's going to be posted on onto their social media channels. So they're heavily on Instagram and Twitter, and they have a huge, our police department has a huge following on Instagram and Twitter. I mean, I wish our city side had so many followers as well, but, you know, the PIO worked closely with the chief and the assistant chief, and they solicit, you know, pictures from from all their staff so at least they have a library of them or they go to events and then the pio for for pd puts out that information and city just manages everything else as non-city and then there is a pio or social media person for the fire department they don't post as much but we let the fire department handle their own items too and do they collaborate with you guys? So do you like, yes. so if, you, if, the, if, the, if the police has, I don't know, it's going to make up a number, 10,000 followers, you have 3,000. Um, do you guys coordinate and say, hey, this is important. Hey, by the way, guys, checking out your Twitter feed. Here's something that T, uh, Bradenton Police Department just put out. Want you to be aware of it on from our channel as well. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, we'll we'll do that. We'll share, or if it's on Twitter, then it's called a uh, retweet. And then, yeah, we'll retweet something from each other as well to try and overlap the coverage as much as possible. What So day day in, day out, what are some of the challenges for municipalities that you see uh, handling new technologies, both, you know, hard technologies and soft technologies like new social media? Ch- I mean, Nextdoor wasn't a thing three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> now it's it's probably one of the more popular ones. And sadly, it's it like many other social media, it's become a place for people to argue and fight. Um, but what what are some of the the daily tech uh, challenges you guys are facing re- regarding technologies? So with technology, it's one: what is out there that's going to help us solve a particular business problem? Again, has it been vetted? Okay, if we use it, what's our upfront cost going to be? What's our recurring cost going to be? And then are we going to have to do something to manage records requests? based on whatever this tool that, that that's out there. So like the social media platforms, we have to record them. You have to maintain them for, for records requests. So that's why there's certain channels you may not see a government use because they can't capture that information. Like uh, we have a YouTube channel, we post our videos, but we don't have comments on that because there isn't an easy way for us to capture and store those comments. So there's, but the beauty of, at least with these tech, you know, these technology options is there's a built-in network of people that we can communicate with. So like a sister organization to FCCMA is FLGISA, the Florida Local Government Information Systems Association, of which I'm a member. And it's a built-in network of folks throughout the state and other cities, counties, um, you know, other agencies that we can say, hey, we're, we have an issue with X, Y, and Z, or we need to solve this problem. What's out there? What are you guys using? So others can say, hey, we've tried these two products. This one works well, or we have some issues with this one. So that you don't necessarily have to worry about that bleeding edge because there's other entities that have already gone through some of these situations. But somebody's got to jump off the high dive board. First. Yeah, at some point, at some <laughs> point. Yeah, it's usually a private business, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, are the laws impediment? Well, I want to talk about two things about the laws because there seems to be, and you, and you touched on it. If it's if it's a, a, a social media that vaporizes, um, you can't use that because you have to keep public records, right? That's correct. Um, so, are the laws lagging very far behind? And, and understandably, they would lag a little bit. Or a law that is anticipatory, it gets it wrong. Any any changes that you see that are necessary in Florida law that that would help cities do a better job of of implementing new technologies? Well, there's um, there, there there's some that, for example, the well, was it a, I think it was a state one about drones, like certain drones that you couldn't be couldn't be used. You know, there's a banned list of types of devices, and sometimes it's really unfortunate the cities made a heavy investment in one particular brand. And then it's determined, well, because there might be security risk or the state team deems there's security risk, you can't use this device. So now you have to reinvest in something else. Um, so it, we're, ta- we're taping today on April 25th. And the lead, one of the lead stories was the governor is pushing to ban drones, police drones that are made in China mm-hmm. under a presumption that, um, and I don't know enough about it to, to even offer an opinion that, there might be a security, a national security risk with Chinese drones surveying our city streets uh, and with intense detail, sending it up to the Chinese government. And apparently, you know, that could hurt us. I don't know how or why, but uh, and saying we want to ban these. So that's it. Is, is that what you're referring to? No, actually, I wasn't even aware that that was up right now. There, there was there was some legislation probably a couple of years ago, like when I was at Venice or it was or that it was coming. So if that's finally made its way through, yeah, when I was at Venice, yeah, I remember uh, my GIS admin, we bought a new drone setup and we started taking videos and pictures. And then maybe a year later, oh, that's going to be on the list of banned banned devices. And so now you just can't use it anymore. So you invest a couple hundred grand for drones that will help law enforcement do a better job. In other words, a, a suspect is a violent suspect is fleeing instead of chasing them with a battery of cars like a 1980s, you know, movie. Right. <laughs> uh, you're instead following this person with a drone and can easily, oh, they just walked into the, you know, that motel and we can we can find them now. Right. Yeah. It could be for police. It could be for a fire service. You use a drone to, you know, survey an area that there might be a fire incident, you know, determine like a safe points for access. Uh, so, and then also just for for media relations, for planning department as well, use the drones that have what's called a LIDAR scanner to help scan your buildings. So to help your planning department make a digital copy of your city so you can say, here's what we look like now. Here's what we could look like in 10 or 15 years. It helps planners. Well, wow, they have LIDAR and drones. I mean, I remember yeah. two years ago, that was like leading edge technology. Holy, bleeding edge technology. Holy cow. Yeah. Um, by the, way, the, the recent flooding in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Drones helped um, the law enforcement and traffic department tell people where to go to get around the flooding. And they could monitor the flooding to say people stay away from Elm Street, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very, very, very useful. Not just cool, but really helpful and useful for safety. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, when, when we invested in a drone, we thought, oh, all these different applications, and we use it for quite a few things. Yeah, sure, we use it for City Hall Selfie Day, but we also use it for the for the Public Works Department to help them tag where, where assets are around the city. And 
when the water towers are being repainted. You can you fly the drones up to you know make sure it you know it it looks good or it looks proper. And then you find out, well, sorry, you can't use this device anymore. So what do you do? You got to surplus it, you know, public surplus the item and then invest in 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 another brand. Well, and what's kind of crazy about that, if you surplus and somebody else buys it and they're running a drone around the same Chinese government's yeah. same stuff at the same time. So why not just let it be? But um, again, if it if it's a genuine national security concern, I, I you know, obviously you got to make those tough decisions. Right. You also talked about a lot of times the city, uh, the state will pass on to local government. Okay, everybody on the podcast yawn now because we all know we're uh, relatively um, frequently the victims of uh, uh, unfunded mandates coming from the state. Hey, we have we have a great idea that we want you to pay for. But I never thought about it in technology. Give me an example or two and, and how you guys have dealt with that. So... One, I mean, it probably seems minor. And from the other cities where I was, it wasn't a big issue where the satisfaction of public records requests or paying for them, there is a bill that I understand it's floated every so often that says the entity or the government government entity has to offer an electronic payment option for people you know, that may call it records requests. May not sound like a big deal. We don't have that here in Bradenton. Everything is you you can send an email. Um, to make your request or call or walk in, but for paying it, you have to mail a check or come in to do your payments. My last two now, cities, Christoph, yeah. I'm a little. I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed today. Do you got you got a dit as the assistant city manager, and you guys still don't have Venmo or Cash App? No, but and and just just beginning of this year, we started using paperless agendas. Otherwise, our clerk was doing the agendas by hand in Word and then creating PDFs. So at least we're on a paperless agenda system now. So, so okay. So, <laughs> Mr. Leading Edge slash almost bleeding edge comes into a city that are the technophobes. Yeah. We, we did not have in building Wi Fi, we did not have a city cell phone program. Um, again, we had paper agendas. We, are working on a new building permitting system um, because people can't really pay for them online now. So there's a, there, yeah, there's, there's quite a few things. That so you got working. quite some challenges ahead of you to get this city into the last 10 years. Yeah, but I, I'm happy to say that a number of these things have been completed. And our IT folks have said, and the, they've done more projects in a year. I would imagine. In, in a, than they have in the last nine years. You know, you remember when newspapers, I'll, I'll never forget, I had um, the publisher of the Tallahassee Democrat come to my class. Um, his name was Bob Gabordi. He's since passed. He was over in Brevard for a little bit. Um, big news, big news. The Tallahassee Democrat was going online. Wow, <laughs> this is cool. So he came to my class where I teach uh, uh, media and uh, media selection and application. And it was a PDF version of the paper, like the <laughs> physical copy of the paper. And when you... Yeah. Consider that even then, this was uh, 10 years ago, most people looked at their stuff either on a, a tablet or a phone. Yeah. You can't read a newspaper PDF. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, you guys are just getting there now. Yeah, we're, well, we're get, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm, you know, it's taken a while, but it's good. It's all good stuff. But, but, but get serious for a second with me here. And I, I'm the one goofing. I'm sorry. But. Uh, for a lot of city managers, that's got to be the challenge of moving their city 
closer to the leading edge. I, I think you put it perfectly. You don't want to be bleeding edge. You don't want to make a mistake. You don't want things to shut down and break. Right. You get Correct. hacked. Correct. But what advice would you give to other city managers, county administrators and the like on moving your city in that direction? Because you clearly you're dealing with your board. You're dealing with you know others in the organization. Hey, Dude, we've always held our, we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. What are your, some of your challenges? What do you do to get people to move forward on new technologies? Well, one of the things that I, um, that I would say is for the city managers, assistant city managers, administrators is talk with your IT folks. I and mean, if you don't meet with them, meet with them and, and ask them, how are things going in the city? Where are we lacking? What things do we need to do? Because the IT folks, they have state and federal mandates that they're required to adhere to as well. Um, so they may be lacking in some areas or need some financial support that's going to help them or help the city. There's plus, I mean, the technology is everywhere. You know, we're it's not going to change. You know, I know people, oh, I, you know, they miss, you know, X, Y, and Z. Like, you know, from the old days, I could do this or I didn't have to worry about that. But we have to have these options available for people to make electronic requests, make payments electronically, how they want to consume their information. It's just you how this fiscal argument that we're doing it this way. And this is costing the city a lot of money. We'll have to make an investment in this new technology, but over time it'll save. Are you able to present that and change people's minds? Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. With, with our administrator here, once it took us a, a few, a few meetings, you know, we showed him a couple of things of, like, uh, hey, we, we should do these city cell phones because we don't have an easy way of capturing text messages. And that affects us in in the resolution of public records requests. Or we need to do these with the agendas because it's one person that's managing them and it's hard to get them out or make changes. Or, you know, we need to do these other options and, and why. And, well, we're on, a you know, for many of these technology things, we were on an island of our own that everybody else was doing them but us. So why are we bucking the trend? Not even bucking the trend. Why are we just outright saying no when everybody else is doing something the same way and it's been proven that it works? Let's, you know, change gears. Let's change gears. Let's, let's progress part the city. It's part of the impediment. It's funny because when you're trained in technology, the joke is, you know, you're like in the engineer class, right? And you're yeah. not in the human resources class. Um, but it sounds to me, and it seems to me based on what you're saying that, yeah, we we this new technology will work better. It'll save us money and time. But you have a, re, a human resistance factor. Oh, sure. sure. On that. And is that usually just a matter of training and education? And because it would seem to me like I want to move a technology forward. There's the the hardware software component of it, right? Yes. And then there's the human component of it, which is, okay, now <laughs> get everybody trained up on on this new technology. Exactly. I have a great example from years ago I used. Um, so I started writing programs when I was at City of Hollywood. <clears throat> and I had to write a fleet fleet maintenance system for the fire department. So all the vehicles, the trucks, the water vehicles, a fleet system. You know, what the vehicles were, the assets, when they went in for service, what was changed the cost, the downtime if something was taken out of service, a lot of calculations and weird stuff. But the fleet mate, the chief apparatus um, mechanic, he hated computers. He he was afraid. Uh, so I asked the chief to give me some leeway with him. And I said, I'll, I'll convince him. Don't worry. So 
it's going to sound weird, but I spent a year writing this program and I had the chief maintenance mechanic who didn't touch the computer. I had him play solitaire. I said, just play solitaire. Just get used to it. And it's, it, I'll explain how it's going to help. Well, what do you do in solitaire? You use the mouse. You also click on items. You double click on items, maybe even right click. So by the time I got the custom built program installed on his computer, his name was Dave. I said, Dave, click on that asset. You moved the mouse and clicked on it. I double click on that repair line. And he double clicked on that because he spent a year playing solitaire <laughs> on the computer. That got him used to using my program. That got him used to using the email program. That opened the door for him using other things on, on that computer and getting away from paper and making it easy for the business analyst who was several miles away who could write reports based on that data. Okay, Rescue 131 was out of service for this amount of time. It costs us this much. This is why we need to buy Rescue 231 because of X, Y, and Z. So if you can think a little differently to um, get people to understand how they can adopt technology and utilize it. Well, yeah, you might come up with a great story like I have with you know, playing solitaire. Really good example of, you know, well, getting somebody comfortable with the technology because a yes. lot of it's an emotional fear factor. And I'm less likely to want to engage in something if I don't really understand how to use it. Right. That's and that's a, that's a nice way to welcome in. So uh, as we wrap up, I'd like to ask you your thoughts on um, what you're seeing with uh, we're reading a lot about uh, AI and the impact it might have. Is this something to be afraid of? Is something that's going to be cool and helpful to cities? What are your thoughts on AI? Well, Which, you know, some, well, let's call it bleeding edge of what it is. But do you see implementations for that? It's quite possible. Yeah, probably for some of these. Um, yeah, the, the chat boxes, the Japanese websites. So many other groups and any you know the members in the IT group, you know they're kicking the tires on it, seeing if they can use it. Right now, there are some restrictions on it because there's a worry that the AI systems can, you know, will be used to, to you know, become the the computer generated bad actors and try and tell you how to hack into something. Right now, those limit at least those breaks are on this system, so they they don't have information on uh, people's networks. But it's something that we always have to worry about, that at some point, the systems are going to learn everything else. And, um, and you know, like I tell my friends, yeah, we're going to have Judgment Day, and it's going to be, you know, Terminator, and AI is going to is going to take over. Well, but, I, I see some utility because, you know, when cities are, are really a lot of enterprises, right? Airport, fire, police, utilities, roads public, you know, communications, parks, blah, 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 that if I go to a city website, really the challenge, I believe, for cities, especially those cities that do it all, like city of Tallahassee, they they have all of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that getting to organizing and getting to the website might be hard, but an AI chatbot to help you navigate the city's website, which was, you know, hey, can I help you? Yeah, I want to pay my utility bill. Click here. Uh, I want to report a road closure or a, a water main break or a fire, uh, click here, mm -hmm. uh, you know, seems to be uh, uh, what I would think right out of the box, something that a good AI uh, software system could could engender. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And there are there are again, there are quite a few entities around the state that are using it. I don't see Braden Tucky using it for a while, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there there are some others, perhaps when it's, again, less bleeding edge. 
then you know uh, Bradenton might might entertain that. Yeah, I mean, versus hey, we have AI doing traffic control. And yeah. One day, one day, Hal decides yeah. screw those people on the east side. They pull a, they pull a, a Chris Christie, you know, yeah. like, that bridge down, you know, uh, or power distribution. You have five power centers uh, yeah. creating power, and it decides, you know, it's kind of hot today. We're gonna shut yeah. this all down. Let everybody cool off. Like, whoa, 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 whoa! No, that's yeah. not what you're supposed to do. That might be a few years out. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping I'm, the customer I'm service chatbot might be might be better. Uh, very interesting. Any other challenges you see coming down the pike that you're either optimistic about or uh, a new a new ideas, new technologies you're optimistic and looking into or terrified of? Well, you know, I, I'm not sure because you never know what's going to you never know what's going to pop up. I mean, I said there's a lot of redevelopment is going to be happening downtown here. So we're just going to be looking at outfitting um, uh, our, our city center with the latest and greatest. Like at the, right now, you know, our chambers is kind of limited in what it has for our audio video. And we're we're trying to see what kind of integrations we can do over the next two years that's going to benefit us for maybe the next five or 10 years, what kind of options may be on the horizon. But we actually, I'm going to a regional meeting tomorrow for, um, you know, the Southwest Florida IT group. And then these are kind of discussions we're going to have on what's what's coming out there. We're going to talk with some folks on FBI, see what the threat landscape looks like. So we can all come back and maybe really digest like what's on the horizon that we're going to have to, we'll have to monitor. Well, let's do this. Uh, this is an ongoing and important topic. Uh, let's commit to get back together uh, when you see some of those things a little more clearly, because sure. I, I think it's one of the great challenges and great opportunities for municipals moving forward is implementing and deploying new technologies. And you seem to be with your DIT, <laughs> uh, the person we should be we should be relying on on a regular basis. I thank you. Yeah, definitely. Last question we ask everybody. uh, Tell us something cool about Bradenton that we may not know. Um, We've got some awesome breweries. I mean, we've got quite a few local microbreweries. And I think another one slated to open, I want to say end of this year. But I mean, it's just just a cool thing. Just a couple of miles from City Hall, you have some of these cool spots. The Riverwalk, again, is just expanded and reopened. Three miles now right along the Manatee River, stretching from uh, you know, west to east, uh, we're at Tarpon Point. The observation tower is open on the east end of Bradenton now, so it's nice. a fully fully ADA accessible observation tower, so you can go out and overlook the river. And speaking, what we 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 we'd be remiss if now we didn't close with uh, speaking of technology and technology failures. Four twenty five a.m. wake up call. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Boy, we were making a big deal of this. I'm like, okay, you got a, a one of eight thousand texts early in the morning. It woke you up for a microsecond. You went back to bed, and they fired the company. Uh, I'm like, wow. So crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Well, Christoph St. Louis, thank you so much for being on. Uh, really appreciate it. Really enjoyed the conversation. I told you it would only be thirty minutes. It was forty five. We went long, but uh, I was kind of wrapped up with what we were saying. No, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. I appreciate the time. And I, I had a blast doing this. Thank you thank again. You, thank you very much, folks. This is Steve Van Core, And this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Now, if you have a question you would like to submit or a future guest you'd like to recommend, just send me an email at svancore at vancorejones.com. Thank you so much for being with us.